Say amen once again. Amen. Do you want the Lord to be happy with your praise? Yes. I want to thank our choir for leading us once again in worship. It is a privilege to be here with you one more evening, and we are looking forward to concluding our time together on tomorrow evening. We were together on Friday night, and we talked about the judgment and the reality that there is going to be a judgment. But praise God, we learned that although fruit is what God expects, and for fruit, God will inspect, and if no fruit, God will reject. And we wondered if fruit was then ours to perfect, and we said, no, Christ the cause, fruit the effect. Our job simply to connect. Isn't that good news? And come judgment time, we need not fret. And then on this morning, we learned that when God established religion through the sanctuary service, it was not just to set up rites and worship rituals. He established the sanctuary so that he might enable relationship. Exodus 25 verse 8 says that God said, let them make me a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. It's wonderful news to realize that God wants to be in a relationship with us. Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know if you all are in my era, but I remember growing up in the 80s when Whitney Houston back then was just like this queen. And, and, and all of us wondered why in the world she would be with Bobby Brown. That's something we wondered, that, that she would be with he, you know. Well, think that God, Emmanuel, righteous God, holy God, is desirous of being with us. But the sanctuary shows how he came and died for our sins and rose with all power in his hand and lives ever to be our intercessor as our high priest in the courts of glory. He is there doing everything necessary so that when he comes, we might be with him. We understood in Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 that at the end of the age, God will come and dwell with his people. Praise God that he's Emmanuel, God with us. I want to continue our time together by dealing with another subject from God's word. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the fifth chapter of Luke. What chapter and what book did I say? Luke chapter 5, and I want to read in your hearing, verses 1 through 11. If you have Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, I invite you to stand with me as we honor God and read his word together. If you do not have access to a Bible, you borrow from your neighbor so that together we might be able to read God's word. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. The Bible begins in verse 1, so it was. 
as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he, Jesus, stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. I want to preach for the next few moments on the subject, all in, all in. Would you bow your heads with me? Hover o'er me, Holy Spirit. Bathe my trembling heart and brow. Fill me with your hallowed presence. Come, oh, come and fill me now. Feel me now, feel me now, only you can feel me now. So fill me with your hallowed presence. Come, please come and feel us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord, all in. I happen to be an individual who likes games. I come from a game-playing family. Uh, we just like to play games. It doesn't matter what kind of games. I will play Scrabble. I'll play Uno. I'll play Boggle. I'll play Old Maid. It really doesn't matter what kind of game. I, I, I like to play games. Games are so important to me that when I was courting the woman who would eventually become my wife, I asked her, Jennifer, do, do you like to play games? She told me. She said, yes, yes, I, 
I like to play games. I, I did not know at that time that her definition of playing games was occasionally bringing out a board game during some holiday like Thanksgiving or, or maybe at Christmas. I did not realize that she had no real understanding of what I meant by playing games. It wasn't until she came to my home for a Christmas holiday. My brother and his wife were there at my parents' home, and my younger sister and her husband and their children were there. And after we ate dinner around 7 o'clock, the family started playing a game called Taboo. And after about 8.30 or so, we took out another game called Scattergories, and we played it till about 9.30 or so. And then about 10, we began a Monopoly game, and we played Monopoly till about 1 a.m. or so. And, and then it seemed like it was time to retire to our quarters, and I went to my bedroom, and my brother and his wife to their bedroom, and my sister and her husband to their bedroom. And about 1.30, my brother knocked on the door and said, Puck, do you want to play Sorry? I said, sure. We went and grabbed my sister, and, and we played Sorry till about 2.30. And, and my wife admitted that she really doesn't like to play games. <laughs> There's one game that I'm especially fond of. It's it's a card game called Rook. I, I really appreciate this game. For those who are not familiar, it, it has a lot of similarities to Bid Wiz. It's a, it's a card game that could mirror spades, but in comparison, spades is like kindergarten fodder and and Rook is like a PhD program. It's, it's, it's a different kind of, of high-level game. I enjoy this game because it allows you to strategize and, and it allows you to manipulate and it allows you to titillate your opponents. I, I enjoy intimidating and, and I enjoy pouncing and pursuing and, and I enjoy this game called Rook. I enjoy Rook so much that every so often I have to fast from it and, and make sure I'm keeping it under control. I, I enjoy this game called Rook. There's another game that I don't really play, but I found myself observing it one evening on TV. I was watching ESPN and they had the World Series of Poker. Because I like card games, I, I can appreciate and understand the dynamics and the nuances. I can respect and appreciate the delicacy behind a well-timed bluff. And as I watched this game and observed this game, I noticed that there is a certain final move in this game. It's a move when a player places all of their chips in the middle of the table. Nothing is left 
in reserve. They are taking all of their resources, all of their finances, all of their wherewithal, and they are going all in. The reality is that Christianity is a whole lot like going all in. In Luke chapter 5, we find our story. Jesus was a popular preacher. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by God all. When people heard that Jesus was in town and that he was about to take the mic, it created a crowd and it caused a stir. It didn't matter what you thought of Jesus or who you thought he was or whose you thought he was. When you heard that he was in the house, you were coming to hear the word because you had to confess that Jesus was a bad preacher. Luke 4, 31 and 32 says that Jesus, when he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority and power. It was unlike anything they had ever heard before. It was obvious that he was not some third-party messenger. He was not preaching about things that he had not seen or things that he had not heard. Remember, in the beginning, he was the word that was with God, the word that was God, and the word that came to earth from God, what no eye had seen, his eyes had seen, and what no ear had heard, his ears had heard, and what had not even entered into the hearts of mankind, he had experienced, lo, he had created. He had walked on streets of gold. He had heard the angel choir when he talked about his father's house that had been his heavenly home. Jesus knew what he was talking about. He knew what he was preaching about. Jesus was a powerful, popular, persuasive preacher. But at this point in Jesus' career, he's trying to get some downtime, trying to steal away from the masses that are always surrounding him. And in an effort to get a little sanctuary and retreat. He goes early in the morning down by the lake. People who have the benefit of beachfront property are able to go out just before dawn and to see the peaceful moving of the waves as they crest upon the sandy shore. And one can be soothed and eased as they enjoy the water with its cadence and rhythm that can psychologically put us at ease. So Jesus is down by the lake, hoping to get away from the people and away from the pressures so that he might spend some quality time with his heavenly father in prayer. But someone spots him and 
They go and call a friend or two and then he's seen by three more and they go and get four more and now there's a small group of 10 and soon there's a group of 20 and eventually people are sitting around Jesus and standing around Jesus assuming that he has a scripture lesson to give and that's where we find our text. Luke chapter 5 verse 1. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that they stood by the lake of Gennesaret, the sea of Galilee. After a while, the press is so thick, even at this early hour, that Jesus, noticing some empty boats, because the fishermen were not presently using them, they were mending and repairing and washing their nets, Jesus, noticing that the boats are empty, calls out to one of the fishermen, Simon Peter, a friend of his, and he asks him, him to pull his boat out a little from the land so that he can make it his pulpit. And from here, Jesus begins his sermonic presentation. Now introduce Peter. Peter is one of those who had heeded the call of John the Baptist and came to the River Jordan to be baptized. He was one of those who undoubtedly had heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Then after an invitation from his brother Andrew, Peter becomes a follower of Jesus himself. Peter had walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and hung out with Jesus, but he was not yet in full discipleship mode. But he was there at the wedding in Cana and saw Jesus turn the water into wine. He went down to the first Passover and he saw Jesus cleanse the temple. He was there as Jesus baptized in Judea. He was there when he talked to the woman at the well and he remembered seeing the whole city come out and give their lives to Jesus. He was with him as he preached in Galilee. He was there when the government official said, can you come down and heal my son? And Jesus at a distance just spoke a word and proclaimed him healed. And the conviction had slowly but surely arisen in Peter that this had to be the son of God. But that had all been a few months ago like some far-off, distant summer vacation. And now Peter was back at his mainline profession. Peter was a fisherman with his brother Andrew and his co-workers James and John. They were fishermen. This was a very popular profession around the Sea of Galilee, one of the major industries in that region of the world. Peter probably grew up as a little boy and sat at his father's knee hearing and learning about fishing with spears and rods and fishing with nets. And eventually Peter makes this his trade. Many years later, Peter is now a skilled fisherman extremely adept at his craft. He knows how to fish and where to fish. And Peter also knows when to fish. One of the tricks of the trade discovered quite early was that when it came to fishing with nets, especially in the clear waters of the Sea of Galilee, the optimum time to fish was at night. 
historical records say that the fishermen would take along torches and there would be a few lights scattered along the sea. And when the fish unsuspectingly thinking that they were heavenly luminaries would come to the surface, then the fishermen, two boats abroad with nets in between, would swoop down the nets and pick up scores of unsuspected fish. This is how Peter made his living. But this past night had been very uncharacteristic for Peter. He had been toiling and fishing and working all night, but had caught nothing, nada, nothing whatsoever. I'm not much of a fisherman, but I have some good friends who consider themselves fishermen. And I asked one of my friends, I said, why do you like to fish? He told me, he said, it gives me time to think. Well, I imagine that when one is fishing for sport or recreation or for rest and relaxation, even if they don't catch many fish, they can still enjoy peaceful, tranquil thoughts. But when you're fishing for work, when this is your job, when this is the way that you make ends meet, and you've toiled all night and caught nothing, you're thinking stuff, but it ain't peaceful, tranquil thoughts. I imagine that Peter and his friends came back from their fruitless expedition, a little irritated, a little frustrated. You know how your husband gets when the job ain't working right and everybody else seems to be the reason and they're irritable and they're frustrated. You know how you get when the kids ain't acting right and anything can just put you off edge. Peter is upset and Peter is irritated and Peter is frustrated. Peter realizes that the economics have gone down and his bills are still high and Peter is upset. But when Peter comes back to shore, Jesus is preaching. It's kind of hard to be upset when Jesus is preaching. I don't know what text Jesus was using, but he may have been saying, for unto us a child is born, or unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, a mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Peter said, this sounds good. He may have been saying, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning time, Peter said said, let me take a seat. He may have said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He may have said, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. He may have said, the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. He may have said, he was persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, neither height, nor depth, 
nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. He may have said, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. He may have said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And Peter got caught up. Peter forgot that he didn't have no money in the bank. Peter forgot that his job had just tendered him a pink slip. Peter forgot all of the problems of this wicked world. And he was caught up listening to the words of the preacher of the righteousness of God. You know what it's like when you come to church and the spirit is kind enough to fall on the preacher and you find yourself caught up. You forget all your problems and forget all your pressures and forget all your pain and, and find yourself caught up. But then came Jesus' appeal. And Jesus said to Peter, you can read it in verse 4. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Suddenly, Peter's been arrested from his emotional high. Have you ever been caught up in the spirit and then God's spirit asks you to give your life to Jesus and you say, hold up. God's spirit asks you to forgive someone who's unlovable and you say, hold up. God's spirit asks you to return the, return the first 10% of your increase and you say, hold up. God's spirit reminds you that your body is the temple of God and that you should not defile or pollute it and you say, wait, hold up. Peter has been enjoying the preaching ministry of Jesus, but Jesus just said, go back out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Peter says, Master, we've tried that. We toiled all night and caught nothing. It's almost like your situation, you and your spouse, are having marital problems and this is the third this is the third or fourth time that you've tried counseling and the spirit of the lord says try it again cuz marriage is for keeps and you want to say but master we've tried that and we caught nothing maybe you're a young lady who's been trying to actually reserve yourself for marriage and, and, and you've been challenged and, and you've been holding out and the Spirit says maintain your purity but you realize if you reduce your standards you could snag a man quite fast. You want to say, Lord, I tried that and I caught nothing. 
Or maybe you have some habit, or maybe there's some habit that has you, and you've accepted the fact that it's just a part of your DNA. It's just a part of your hereditary. Your mama's mama's mama had her before she was married, and she had your grandmama before she was married, and she had your mama before she was married. And you just know that you got to have babies before you're married. And God says that you need to reserve sexual activity until marriage and you say God I can't even try that I know I'll find nothing maybe your family has a long line of drug addicts or alcoholics or prostitutes or gang bangers and you want to say I came down for appeal after appeal after appeal but my life is still broken raunchy messed up and disease master I've tried that and caught nothing Peter said master I've tried that we toiled all night and caught nothing let me tell you what what Peter said and what Peter was thinking were two different things Peter was too respectful to tell Jesus what he really thought Peter really wanted to say, uh, I'm a fisherman, you're a carpenter. If you want to talk to me about hammers and nails and saws, and which tools to put in your tool belt, I'm willing to defer. But when you get into my area of expertise, um, uh, hold off, Jesus. I'm a fisherman. I know that you fish at night. And if you were as skilled and educated and as insightful as I am, you would know that too. Hold on, Jesus. I'm a CPA. I know that in this economy, you cannot return 10% tithe and a liberal offering. Hold on, Jesus. I'm a family therapist. I know that you can't overcome your inherited and cultivated tendencies to sin hold on Jesus I know young people today and they cannot be expected to say no to sex before marriage I know my family I know me and my wife can't make it I know everybody in my family is an atheist I know that everybody in my family does drugs I know that everybody in my family is caught on pornography I know that everybody in my family has an addiction I know what I can't do. And the first thing I want to say to you is what Jesus said to Peter. Jesus will challenge you to take your boat back out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. Jesus will challenge you to move your boat back into the deep part of the sea, to do things that you think are impossible, to do things that others think are laughable. The reality is that Jesus will move you beyond your comfort zone. Jesus will move you to go deeper, to go further, to go higher, to go stronger. Jesus will move you to go all in. 
Jesus would challenge you the same way that he challenged Abraham to leave the familiar and to walk by faith to a city that God would show him. The same way that he challenged Gideon to reduce the number of fighting men in his army, trusting that the battle would be God's, saith the Lord. He would challenge you to walk by faith and not by sight. Christ will challenge you to move beyond our culture's definition of status quo, stagnant Christianity. He will challenge you and what he wants us to say is exactly what Peter says. Master, we've toiled all night, verse 5, and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, nevertheless, even though I don't understand it, nevertheless, even though I can't comprehend it, nevertheless, even though I may not like it, even though I may not even believe it, even though I can't totally receive it, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. I've read somewhere that there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. So I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart and lean not to my own understanding. In all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge him and let him direct my path. I'm going to say, nevertheless, we talked this morning about how we are the sanctuaries, the temples in which God wants to dwell, and how that temple that Moses built was a pattern of the heavenly temple, the heavenly sanctuary, and it also was to correspond to the body temple that we're supposed to allow the spirit to dwell in. And I want you to know that with all of the specifications Moses was given in the Bible regarding the building of the temple, down to every screw, bolt, and nut, never did God say, Moses, what do you think? Moses, what would you like? Moses, what do you prefer? Moses, how you think it should go? We are to build according to his pattern. God doesn't care what you think, how you feel, or what you want. We are to say, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. When he says launch out, who cares what you think or what you feel or what you've done or where you've been or what you've seen or what you know? God is challenging you to say, nevertheless, at your word. I'll let down the net. So what that we live in a culture that says if it feels good, if it looks good, the Bible says present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't care what the fashions say. I don't care what the fads say. I don't care what popular opinion says. We are to be concerned about what God's word says. 
the reality is that God's word is sharp and powerful like a two-edged sword and it will challenge you it will cut you but it's cutting so that it can save you the reality is that God's word will cut across our earthly desires it'll cut across our entertainment choices the Bible says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. God's word will cut across your desire for entertainment that feeds the flesh, the lust of the flesh. And we are to say, nevertheless, at your word, I'll turn off the TV. Nevertheless, at your word, I won't see the X-rated movie. Nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to choose options that are holy and acceptable unto God. The Bible will talk about us choosing health options that allow the temple to grow and expand and enjoy the health that God desires. We'll have to say nevertheless to appetite, nevertheless to what makes me feel good, nevertheless to the fact that I want a little buzz or I need a little high. Jesus wants me to depend upon him. He says that whoever is deceived by wine and strong drink it's a mocker and it's raging. And if you're deceived, you are not wise. I'm to say, nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to be pure. At your word, I'm going to live for you. At your word, I'm going to trust you. The world will talk about whatever kind of fashions appeal to your senses. Jesus says, I want you to be more concerned, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, with the internal adornment of a Christ-like spirit rather than all of the external accoutrements that attract the world to yourself. And even though I like it, and even though I may want it, my job is to say, nevertheless... At your word. It never fails when I go to preach somewhere. People ask me why I wear bow ties. I really don't have any major theological reason. The truth is, I wore one at school and the young lady who became my wife said, you look good. So I bought another one. The next time she said, you look good. I bought another one, and I've been wearing them ever since. Notice, my objective ain't to please me. My objective is to please her. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22, we have whatever we ask of our Father because we do keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. He's looking for people that are more concerned with following him and obeying him and will say, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. So what that everyone else worships and tries to keep Sunday holy? God's word says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I have to say, nevertheless, I'll go against the current. Nevertheless, I'll go against the popular crowd. Nevertheless, at your word, 
I'll let down my net. And notice, it's not just at any word. It's not at your boss's word or your boyfriend's word or your girlfriend's word or the teacher's word or the preacher's word. At thy word. And that word is a powerful word. That word is an enduring word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. It's a directing word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a convicting word. The spirit will convict us and lead us into all truth. It's an eternal word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. It's a transforming word. Exceeding great and precious promises have been given to us that by these ye may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And it's a trustworthy word spoken by a God who cannot lie. So not because I think so or I know so or I feel so or even because I believe so, but because God said so. Nevertheless, I will let down my net, and I want you to know that when Jesus challenges you and you let down your net, Jesus will come through for you. Peter caught so many fish, that the net broke. You let down your net at God's word in your marriage and you watch him restore your relationship. You let down your net in your finances and you return a faithful tithe and a liberal offering and you watch him open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. You let down your net and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and watch him add everything else unto you. You let down your net and forgive as Christ has forgiven you and watch him take away all anger and all hatred and give you peace that passeth all understanding. You let down your net and you treat your body as the temple of God and you watch him banish disease. You let down your net and you live to get his approbation and you listen to him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Jesus will challenge you and then Jesus will come through for you. Jesus said, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And I'm faithful. And I will not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. But with the temptation, I will make a way of escape so that you can bear it. I will never leave you nor forsake you. All things I'll work together for the good of them that love the Lord. Jesus will challenge you. And Jesus will come through for you. And it will convict you. When Jesus challenged Peter to go back out into the sea against his understanding and his inclination, and Jesus gave Peter a miracle in his own area of expertise.
Let Jesus solve your problem. Let Jesus fix your situation. Let Jesus heal your disease, and it will convict you that Jesus is God. Peter was convicted beyond any other miracle that this was proof that Jesus was God. Jesus will convict you. You know what your checkbook is like, and when Jesus comes through for you, it'll convict you. You know what your marriage is like. When Jesus comes through, it'll convict you. You know what your fleshly appetites are like. And when Jesus comes through, it'll convict you. You know what your drinking problem is like. And when Jesus comes through, it will convict you. He'll convict you of your distrust, your misaligned priorities, your adultery, idolatry, self-sufficiency, your arrogancy, and your pride. Jesus will challenge you. He will come through for you. And he will convict you. And then last but not least, Jesus will call you. And what he called with Peter is exactly what he's calling with me and you. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. And notice Peter's response. The Bible says, and they forsook all and followed him. They went all in, left their boats, left their nets. Please don't miss the economic import. They put Jesus before riches, before prosperity. This is the opposite of the rich young ruler who put riches and prosperity before Jesus. But Peter and his companions forsook all. No dependencies. No plan B. No backup option. Going all in with whatever you say, Jesus. Whatever you want, Jesus. Whatever you like, Jesus, whatever you desire, Jesus, going all in, not half in, not part in, not kind of in, not semi in. They forsook all and followed him. They went all in. They forsook mother, father, sister, brother they forsook friends fashion popularity pleasure praise pride riches wealth earthly favor earthly honor they went all in I want you to know that Jesus said, if you want to be my disciples, you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. There's really only one situation when it comes to making decisions. It's what is God's command and what is his promise. I will follow the one 
and I will believe in the other. That's what it means to go all in. When Jesus says, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Individuals that are disciples, they go all in. Some of you have been listening throughout the last few weeks to the preaching of God's word from this pulpit. You've understood very clearly the salient truths of God's word. You've understood, first of all, that Jesus came to die for your sins and that he gives power for us to have him spirit living within. You've been convicted that God has a law of love, his sin commandment law. And it shows us how to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul and our neighbor as ourselves. Some of us have understood that in the last days there'll be deception, that there'll be false prophets, that there'll be even false Christ, and that one of the ways that we can make sure that we are on the side of truth and righteousness is that we are to keep the commandments of God and have our faith in Jesus. You've been taught that one of the commandments during the last days of earth's history that will try, that the devil will try to use to deceive and confuse individuals will be trying to wipe away the sanctity of that fourth commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The very commandment that God with a highlighter said, remember, the world is going to choose to forget. And it's because in a interesting kind of behind the scenes way the devil will be snubbing his finger at God and saying they've ignored your commands they've chosen self and sin rather than serving their savior but Jesus says before I come I'm going to proclaim the everlasting gospel individuals have been deceived I'm going to call them out of darkness so that they can live according to my entire law because my judgment day is coming and I'm going to judge people according to my righteous standard and I'm looking for some people that when they understand they're willing to go all in some people who won't ask well what does mama think what does daddy think what does my neighbor think what does my preacher think or my teacher think the only question is what does Jesus think and Jesus wants individuals who will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He wants people who will surrender all and go all in. In closing, I want you to consider exactly what Jesus asked us to surrender. He asked us to surrender all of our sorrow, all of our disappointment all of our frustrations and all of our pain. He asks us to surrender all of our hatred, all of our anger, all of the damage and the disease that sin has wrought. There's nothing that Jesus asks us to surrender that's for our best good to keep. He asks us to surrender all of the sin 
that has devastated and destroyed this world in exchange he wants us to accept salvation is it too much for us to surrender all if you want to make a decision to surrender all to Jesus I want to invite you to stand as we prepare to sing this hymn you're standing and you're saying Jesus I want to go all in I want to put you first if your word says it and you convict me, I'm going to follow through and do it. I'm surrendering all. I'm going all in. There may be somebody under the sound of my voice. Maybe you have never given your life to Jesus and you hear him calling you just like he called Peter. This is your time to step out and go all in. This is your time to launch out into the deep, to come down to the altar and give your life to Jesus. You don't have to know what the future will hold. You don't have to know what tomorrow will bring. Peter did not know what would take place. He just trusted God and said, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down my net. At God's word, why don't you follow Jesus? You've never given your life to Jesus before. This is your opportunity. That's the first appeal. The second appeal is for individuals who have given their life to Christ. But now you've been challenged by God's word to serve him as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian.